dear chief, much has happened since we last spoke. Welcome to Dear Chief Podcast, where your hosts and their guests share the 411 of being married to the people who respond to 911s. Take a peek into fire family life and get unabashed advice on how to prevent forest fires in your marriage. Now, here's your hosts, two seasoned firewives, Audra and Chelsea. Hey, everybody. This is episode 10 of Dear Chiefs podcast. I'm Audra. And this is Chelsea. So we're sitting here in California's creepy, smoky orange skies, and there's ash raining down on literally all of us, I think, right now. It's been the most bizarre weather created by smoke from all these fires around us. So we just want to, again, take a minute to thank everybody out there on the lines working hard to get those fires under control out here. And we also want to thank everybody at home for keeping the home fires under control. Everybody plays an important role in our first responder families. And we just want you to give yourself some grace and remember you can't control anything and just take a minute. Um, During this episode today, we are talking to Daniel Mills. He runs a nonprofit organization called the 911 Buddy Check Project. Uh, The 911 Buddy Check Project is the mental health revolution. They help providers climb and conquer the four mountains, mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, providing peer support and personal training, more than just talk, but actual solutions and healing. Thank you so much for being with us today, Daniel. Tell us a little bit about 911 Buddy Check. Appreciate y'all having me. So the 911 Buddy Check is a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, that actually just started as a Facebook group. And after my partner, uh, David Ferris, committed suicide uh, six years ago, and it started just as a a Facebook group and just said, hey, every week, check on your buddies. Uh, Same emphasis that we used in the military. And that has kind of grown into, you know, a – the revolution. Um, I, I looked in the mental health world and saw things that I didn't like and that I did like, and really what I felt like we were missing, kind of the mark, uh, the science and all that behind mental health, uh, just through my own struggles with addiction and post-traumatic stress and depression and anxiety. And we just threw a bunch of ingredients into the mixing bowl, uh, so to speak. And five, six years later, you know, here we are, um, you know, we have a podcast now and, you know, we do nutrition coaching and health and wellness coaching, peer support, crisis intervention, um, set our our partners up with care plans and we'll actually, through donations to the nonprofit, we're able to actually pay for first responders, nurses, dispatchers, and veterans to go to counseling. Uh, we'll cover up to three visits, you know, so um, we're kind of like a, a one-stop shop, express oil change for, for mental health and substance abuse. I love that. One-stop shop, like oil changers. I love it. Yeah, we uh, just through my own struggles uh, with physical health and I, I went into liver failure uh, back in 2014 and went to the cath lab and 
have had, you know, a 10 plus year struggle with, you know, just depression and anxiety and post-traumatic stress and all that. And, um, we just kind of want to be that, that one stop for people instead of having to send them, you know, to this doctor, to this counselor, to this person. So, so before we started recording today, Daniel was telling us that he gives a 911 buddy check talk and Audra and I think that it during the month of September, which is suicide prevention month, it would be valuable for our first responders and families to hear this talk. So Daniel's going to roll into that um, kind of a monologue, I think, and then we'll go, we'll, we'll ask some questions along the way possibly, but we're just going to let him talk for, for a few minutes. Yeah, my uh, my breaking point, my yet factor was January 28th of 2015. Um, I worked for one of the busiest aircraft in the southeast, and we were a, a legacy program. Um, kind of like we talked about, I was extremely arrogant uh, as a as a flight paramedic, uh, especially being you know just a couple years into my air medical career. But got to work that morning. Um, Started like any other day, 9.15, the tones dropped, and, you know, they uh, dispatched it as a scene flight and grabbed my helmet, went to the aircraft like we had done, you know, a couple hundred times and headed to a town uh, in the county I grew up in, and it was for a house fire. And I remember the arrogance that I had, you know, I joked about, uh, when they gave us the, the first bit of information, they said that we're going to be the first of four aircraft coming into this scene. And I made a joke and just said, hey, you know, they're probably just freaking out, you know, something along those lines. And get to get on scene. And for the first time in my career, or really like that yet factor, I got punched in the mouth. And we, my partner Michelle and I picked up a uh, one-year-old burn baby. And he had 98% full thickness burns. It was one of the most horrific injuries I've ever seen, not, not only to a child, but to a human being and them still be alive. And, you know, anybody that's in the medical field knows this scenario because anything and everything that could have gone wrong did. And the... Normally, I'm, I'm extremely cool, calm, and collected on flights. Um, at, you know, I don't get excited. I don't get amped up. And this is one of the few times that I was, I was pegged um, just mentally and emotionally and physically. And we ended up, I just grabbed the baby, wrapped him up in a burn blanket, uh, took off sprinting to the helicopter. And get him to, to Children's Hospital in Birmingham and they work on him. Um, I'm, I'm a wreck on the inside. I was kind of catatonic on the outside, but I was, I was a wreck and I went to the bathroom, um, there in the ER trying to just kind of compose myself. And I really just started unfolding. I, I snapped on my wife, my wife's an ICU nurse and worked at the, in the ICU, literally like parallel to the helipad. Um, and I blew up at her via text message. Uh, it was a really solemn ride back, but for I didn't I didn't go to work for almost two weeks. Um, I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't feel I lost all confidence in my skills. 
we went to the beach house, uh, my wife's family's beach house to just try to let me calm down. And my wife had never seen me like that. I'd never seen me like that, honestly. Um, and I was, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat food. I couldn't smell anything cooked. Um, it just kept just bringing these just God awful, you know, images back to me. I couldn't, you know, if I heard a baby crying, just like something as simple as going to a restaurant and you hear a baby crying and I would just peg out. And it was the weirdest thing because I'd never, I was, you know, 13 years into my career at this point. And um, even in, you know, early 2015, we really weren't talking about mental health much. And, you know, I was, I was a, an eight year veteran of the military at that time. I'd been in fire and EMS since 2002. And I was, I was literally coming apart. And what made, the, the timing of this worse was a year or the previous year in 2014, I decided to get sober. And for the first time with a clear head um, and a clear, you know, vision, like I couldn't, I couldn't do like I normally did and drink my problems away or cover, not drink them away, but cover them up. And it really, like as the first time in my career I ever went to a CISD debriefing and I broke down in a room full of 40 people, 40, 40 men, women that I've worked with and around my entire career. And I'm talking about like fat kid, ugly, like sobbing, crying. Um, you know, even for weeks after I would go back to work and the tones would drop and I would just cringe. Like I, I would just, you know, I, and overnight a job that I had always wanted to do. And I had the dream job at a dream program and I didn't want to do the job anymore. Um, I was, I was falling apart at home. I was falling apart with my wife. Um, you know, I was asking other people, you know, I, I was doing that judgment thing that a lot of us do and looking at others and, you know, hey, does this job bother you? Do you have any calls? And I just wouldn't get anything really from anybody, you know, and a lot of people would just be like, no, I just handle it and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But it, uh, you know, it, it, that was my, my welcoming to, to mental health and to the effects that this job had on me. And not only from that day, it, it brought up stuff from 2002 and from voting day in, in November of 2004, when we cut a young girl out of a car off the side of a, a cliff. And, you know, that was my first trauma code. And, you know, it brought up my first pediatric code. Like, and it just, it was literally like my mind was vomiting and, you know, I, I didn't know how to explain it to anybody. So, um, that, like I said, that, that was my yet factor. And that was, that really began the journey of, you know, my mental health crusade the last five years. So tell me about this yet factor. What is it? So we talk about the yet factor and you'll hear a lot of people, well, that hadn't happened yet. Yeah, and I, and I heard a paramedic say one day that they haven't missed a, an airway yet. 
And I was like, well, it'll, it'll happen. I said, that's a factor in everything. And then it hit me and I was like, Oh, the yet factor. And, and it, it, it's just what it sounds like. It just hadn't happened yet. And that burn baby. Um, and that was my yet factor. And I just didn't realize the, the compounding effects that this job has on the human psyche. Um, we, we, I, don't, I don't think we realize that we are not meant to see the stuff that we see every day. Um, it's, not, it's not normal. And if you normalize it, then you have some deep-seated psychological issue. Like if, if watching a child die, you know, like it's, it's just not normal. So um, really addressing the human in mental health and the, the human in humanity. Yeah. The human in mental health. That's, that's a great way to put it. I think, because I don't think people, I don't know if they equate the two or they don't, I don't, I don't know how they miss that, that there's. Well, I, in, in, in my lectures, um, I've got a slide that has Superman and Superwoman, Supergirl, Super, Superwoman. Yeah. They're standing in front of each other and we talk about the ego and our identity and Eckhart Tolle uh, calls the ego identification with form. And we identify with our jobs. When I put my flight suit on, I become superhuman. When we put our nursing scrubs on, my, my wife does it, uh, you know, at the, at the police department, I'm, I'm an MA in the Navy and or uh, law enforcement. And when I, put my, my military uniform on, we, we, we personify that identity. Like it literally becomes who we are. And especially in mental health, and we see this a lot in retirees. Um, I don't think people realize the suicide rate in retirees, um, not only first responders and law enforcement and veterans, but nurses, dispatchers, because for 20, 30 plus years, this job is literally who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, I told a group that I spoke to yesterday that said, you know, first responders and veterans are the only people that introduce themselves by their job title, you know, and people, you know, and, and I do, I'm, Hey, I'm Daniel. I'm a flight paramedic. I'm, you know, I'm in the, in the military. I'm this, I'm that, but it's just a job we do. And Eckhart Tolle really hit that on the head. He said, you know, the ego is that identification with form. And hmm. when with mental health, when we have what we call a moral injury, and a psychological injury, it fractures that identity. Uh, the same as it did on January 28th with me, it fractured that superhero just because I fly in from the clouds and I you know, swoop in and save the day and there's nothing I can't handle right until you hit that yet factor because you're going to, you know, it's like Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So how would you say that that relates to the family of the first responder that yet factor they become my my wife they're the secondary and tertiary victims of this job um we i I don't beat up my wife but we go home and beat up our families you know metaphorically because like like a dog is there waiting for you when you get home your family's there and they're going to take the brunt of your shift. Like if you're not aware enough and conscious enough to 
have some coping mechanisms on the way home, the ability to leave the job at the job. And, and there's been plenty of times like that day, um, I text my wife when we were leaving children's and I said, Hey, and I'd always text my wife, Hey, we're heading out. We're heading back to base. Love you. See you soon. I texted her that day and I said, Hey, um, we're headed back. Um, I'm effed up right now. And she's texts back something or I said, I said, I just had the worst flight of my career. And she texted me back and she said, well, baby, it couldn't have been that bad. And I literally, I took to the phone and was just with my thumbs. And I was just like, have you ever had a crispy one-year-old thrown into your effing arms? And I, my wife and I don't talk to each other like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I was just so ain't like that, just emotion. And what I know now, you know, it was my limbic system and my amygdala was overactivated and, my prefrontal cortex had shut down. And I mean, I was just, you know, at a hundred miles an hour, but you know, John J first responder or John J nurse or John J police officer, or even the veteran community, they don't, they don't know this, you know, they don't know that, Hey, it takes two to three days for your prefrontal cortex to take back over after a traumatic event. And with, within, you know, a few hours of us getting off work, we're at home with our kids having to do wife and, and husband duties and boyfriend and girlfriend duties and, you know, chasing kids around and cleaning up, you know, the, the mess the dog made. And your brain is still in that sympathetic fight or flight response. And we're expected to come, come home, you know, and, and be human, be nor- like the, the proverbial normal. Um, and it's just not, it's not possible a lot of times, you know, and I, my wife will tell you, we're about to record a podcast with my wife. And if y'all ever want to talk to her, she'd be happy to, because, you know, there's been times that in our marriage and even our relationship where she's had to check me, you know, and says, Hey, I'm, I'm not the enemy. I'm not, you know, I'm not one of your guys at work. We're not going to do this. She says, I understand you're struggling, but and that's why you see, you know, the, the pandemic of first responders and veterans is not just mental health, it's divorce. Mm-hmm. You know, we have an exponentially high rate of divorce, you know, and nobody talks about that. And that's a big predicator with post-traumatic stress. Yep. That's a huge. Right. Okay. So let's unpack that a little bit. How do we, how do we avoid that situation getting so big that it becomes a divorce um how can first responders and communicate with their spouses productively and where do they get support for that within the ems world well just with with anything the biggest thing people can do so communication creates connection communication literally is the bridge over troubled water to connection and dropping the ego, the lies, the, the, the BS. And, you know, I, my, my wife calls me out. Like luckily my wife is my best friend. Um, but you have to, how many times have people said, are you okay? You know, you come home from a bad shift and your spouse, significant other boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever say, Hey, what's going on with you? I'm fine. I'm fine. No, I, I, everything's fine. I'm just tired. 
that's a lie. And when you drop the ego and drop the lies and say, you know, when my wife and I went to the beach in 2015, um, after that flight, I, I just told her, I said, I, I don't know what's going on. Um, you know, I had this car wreck in 2004 and this pediatric cardiac arrest in the forest park neighborhood. And, you know, and, and she told me, she said, damn, I didn't think this job bothered you. She goes, you act like such a robot with things. She goes, I didn't think it bothered you. And I said, Kayla, I'm, I'm human. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm, I'm human. And I, you know, you have to talk and you also have to have professional help, whether that is a, a marriage coaching couple, a, a, church, a marriage church group, a marriage counselor. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many of the fireproof books that I mail to first responders. And it's literally, it's a, a 30 day love dare book um, from the movie fireproof. Um, it was a Christian based film, but um, I forget the guy's name. It's literally a 30 day love challenge. And I'll send that to people because a, a relationship is as corny as it sounds is like a garden. And if you don't put the work in till the soul, you know, aerate it, water it, plant good seeds, you're not going to get a good, a good crop. And we, our marriages, our relationships with our kids, um, they take the brunt of us not putting in the work because we'll sacrifice for everybody else. You know, we'll literally climb into police cruisers, fire engines, helicopters, you know, pull overtime shifts in the ER for complete strangers, but we don't put the work in at home because we're almost borderline arrogant or comfortable enough to think that they'll always be there. Um, But they take the brunt and then we go back into the fray to sacrifice for people we don't know. Um, But communication and professional help is two of the most, literally the most important things that you can do and working on yourself, obviously. So what do you tell um, people in your, um, because you do, um, you do events, right? You put on these helpful events for what I cannot think of the word right now. Cause yeah. We, we, so we'll do, um, I speak at conferences, uh, Thank police you. conferences, fire, EMS, air medical. And we also, the, the buddy check, we do one and two day workshops. Um, and obviously COVID has, stop that dead in its tracks, but we'll do, um, one day workshops because mental health, there, there's so many variables to mental health. And, um, we just realized that it's hard to conceptualize post-traumatic stress in a one hour talk. And it's hard to, you know, conceptualize the, the dynamic of fixing it because it's not a linear endeavor. Um, there's no, you know, magic pill. There's no, because it's, if your mental and emotional health is off, that's going to throw your spiritual and your, your physical health off and vice versa. And they're all inversely proportional. If one go, you know, and they're like tires on a car. Um, and if you're not okay mentally and emotionally, your relationships aren't going to be okay. Um, if your finances aren't okay, then, and it just sends ripples through the, the proverbial first responder family 
uh, and then add substance abuse and everything else. And it just compounds the issues. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So how do people get involved with the nonprofit? Um, we, so our, our biggest thing is not only talking about the science behind mental health, because we treat, we treat mental health like a, like a heart attack, like a STEMI, you know, because if you just treat the symptoms and, you know, just mask all that, then you're not going to get anywhere. You have to address the root cause. And, you know, this, this year we had planned on adding coaches to our, we're building a curriculum right now because there's a lot of peer support programs um, and they're all great but they're only one side of the coin. So we're wanting to create a curriculum that we're working on now of actually being able to train people to not only know the signs and symptoms to look for, you know, to train the leaders because there's a huge leadership void on the mental health side. Um, because with a lot of times with people with substance abuse and mental health and post-traumatic stress and anxiety, we treat these people as problems and we write them up, write them and then get rid of them. Um, so we're really just trying to create, you know, we joke about we're the heretics of mental health uh, because we don't go with the proverbial current of modern day mental health and we're wanting to, obviously, when COVID goes away or whatever it does, build hundreds of practitioners to be able to be that one-stop shop for somebody because I can't do it all by myself. Um, you know, we have a small team right now because we're very protective of the buddy check, obviously, but um, we want – in a few years, they're not to be a need for the 911 buddy check project. That's my ultimate goal is to close the doors of the buddy check project because I don't want it to be in no longer needed. You mean because you want it to just be like organic and people don't have to think right. about it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's, that's one thing that, you know, we do and I, our social media is one of the, I would say the most informative science evidence-based social media page because I don't want everybody just to be like, no, you know, look at me, listen to me. I want, I want you to be able to, you know, know the science behind nutrition and mental health. I want you to know the science behind the hypothalamic pituitary and adrenal axis and mental health. Um, the effects of, you know, caffeine and mental health, the effects of uh, micro and macro traumas and mental health. I, I, I want to create, an army of mental health practitioners to where literally I can say I'm no longer needed. All right. I think that's amazing and definitely um, can't wait to see that come to fruition. Um, we definitely could use a lot more mental health practitioners in the EMS world. I know for myself in particularly, we've, we've, you know, we go through our, employee assistance program. And sometimes you look at the list of people who are available and you're like, this is a joke, you know, like I'm not, not going to talk to these people because they don't even know anything about what we're going through. Mine cried 
when I went to EAP, the counselor cried because of the call I was talking about. And, you know, I I wrote a blog a few back in May and it's been viewed. I checked it this morning over 35,000 times and it was literally just titled, I forgot to be human. And the most, and I tell everybody, the, the most important mental health advice I can give is to allow yourself the space to be human because so often in our life, we, we forget that we're human and, you know, we need more first responders becoming licensed counselors. We need more first responders becoming peer support. We need more first responders becoming nutrition and health and wellness coaches. Um, you know, over 80% of first responders are morbidly obese. Um, over 80% of first responders, nurses, just shift workers are vitamin D and magnesium deficient. And the effects of being vitamin D and magnesium deficient are depression, anxiety, mental health issues. Yep. Um, 100%. Yep. You know, our 80% of our serotonin derives from our gut. Well, what messes with our gut? Modern diets, the standard, they call it the sad diet because it literally makes you sad, the standard American diet, you know, and the side effects of that are mental health, you know, um, depression, anxiety, (laughs) and, you know, we're over-caffeinated. The majority of first responders and veterans are addicted to caffeine. Yep. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, I, and, and people, and that's probably why we don't have 50,000 followers on social media because we catch a lot of flack because I, our message is that of personal responsibility. And in the buddy check talk, I, I tweaked, um, I'm a, I'm a tactical paramedic instructor uh, or TCCC and in the care under fire phase, we talk about self-aid buddy aid. All right. And, and, and I will pose this to y'all as well. And the, the listeners and the audience, if you're shot, all right, what are you going to do? You're going to do everything you can to stop your own bleeding get out of the line of fire. You're going to be picking the phone up, call, you know, calling for help. You're going to be scrambling helicopters and, and all that. In the self-aid portion of care under fire, you know, they say seek cover, cover and move, apply your own tourniquets, call out for help, get back in the fight if able. Yet when it's with mental health or substance abuse, we don't do that. We suffer in silence. The same in the buddy aid portion of the care under fire phase. You see one of your brothers or sisters injured in the line of fire, and we would do this at work. We see one of our brothers and sisters injured. We will go through hell and high water, unless it's that partner you don't like, and then we can, you know, that's, that's a casualty of war, right? I'm joking. <laughs> Even the partners we don't like, you know, we will go through hell and high water to help these people. And we're going to drag them and, you know, and granted with mental health, that's not something that you can post about on Instagram and Facebook and say, Hey, I slayed slayed the mental health reaper today. But if the bullets are flying, I mean, we'll literally put our life on the line when it's mental health. We either ignore it, say they'll figure it out on their own. We throw bricks on them when they're in the deep end of the pool and tell them to figure it out. Yep. I've done it to people. I've had it done to me. You know, I, I lost a, my job in 2017 because of my mental health. 
you know, and when you, I saw the flip side of it is when it lit a passion inside of me to realize we are doing this so wrong. Mm-hmm. And we treat people like rental cars. We use them, we abuse them, and when we don't no longer need them or they're not living up to our, you know, standard of expectation, we trade them in for yep. something newer and fresher. And we've seen this in EMS, fire, police, uh, even the military for decades. Mm-hmm. And just because it's not something we can post about on Instagram and get a bunch of hearts and, oh, man, you know, thank you for your service and yada, yada, yada. Mental health is, is not, and, and even before the pandemic, which this is shining a light on it, but mental health, like, this is, this is a crisis. And we, I, I, I talked to somebody yesterday. They literally lost their job because they were talking about post-traumatic stress and depression unacceptable and their leadership's like oh we don't believe in that well do you believe in heart attacks because it's it's no different it's a psychological injury do you believe in strokes do you believe in you know i and we send these people out we sleep the problem we don't offer any help other than eap and just say hey fix it on your own good luck mm-hmm. yet if if it's an offshore down or you hear we we use double zero here but if you hear double zero come over the radio I mean, it's that tombstone moment. You tell them we're coming, we're bringing hell with us. Like, unless it's mental health, and then we don't talk about it. And it's one of the most infuriating, frustrating, just like throw your phone across the room moments when I have to text Jeff Dill from Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance, or I text Boomer or Dennis from stay fit for duty and uniform service peer council and said, Hey, another suicide, another suicide. And like literally with Jeff Dillon, I, that's, the, that's all the text thread is, oh, is, Hey, terrible. another, another, you know, another career firefighter, another career paramedics committed suicide. I'm sorry. That's terrible. Yeah. So you're, I, I, I 100% agree with you that part of being mentally healthy is a choice. It's a choice to seek help. It's a choice to be physically healthy. Um, and so 100% behind you on that. Uh, you definitely have us as followers on Instagram. Yeah. Um, 100% agree with that. That's why we had you on the show. I wanted to hear more about what was going on behind the scenes and the why factor. And so thank you so much for that because I think that's definitely something we need to hear more. Mental health is a crisis in our country. And there is definitely this unspoken stigma surrounding it, especially in California. Yeah. I feel like with our, our, our professional firefighters in general, um, it's getting better, but it could, it can be so much, so much better than it is. It's that type A and I, I get so tired of that. Uh, my best friend's a, a Green Beret at Fort Bragg, um, 19 years. And he, he openly talks about mental health and we, we have to break through that you know, that bravado, you know, and it, and it's men and women like oh, yeah. that just, oh, yeah. you know, no, I'm because I, I see it worse in female. I have a client right now that it, she, she, she is one of the worst because females feel like they have to perform a hundred times harder, have to show up more because of the culture that we have of, you know, this, you know, fire and EMS and police as a, as a man's get whatever, however you want to, you know, to, to put it. 
but they fail more than ever. And FEMA are more like, so I think, I think that's one in three females are apt to worse. I'm a butcher of the quote, worse post-traumatic stress versus men due to they're more in touch with their feelings. Like, and I, I know a lot of guys will hear that and but, but we do such a bad job of one telling people on the front end of what they're going to, you know, experience, but two on the back end, because females don't feel like they can talk to guys about what they're going through. Guys don't feel like they can talk to the females about what they're going through. And you just have this stalemate of no communication of BS lies. And we tolerate substance abuse. That's the most accepted thing amongst first responders that there is yet, you know, we, we don't talk about really anything. And you have the leadership up top saying mental health is not a real thing. All right. I don't believe in post-traumatic stress. I don't believe it's an excuse. It's a weakness, whatever. You have the people at the bottom reverberating that, that philosophy that's coming from the top. And it, it literally just turns into a toilet bowl of, you know, just fecal matter. But, but yet when somebody, I, I get so just forget my language pissed off when I get on f- social media and I see, you know, a department's badge with the black line through it and rest in peace, brother, rest in peace, sister. We'll take it from here. Your watch is over. You know, it's more than just posting this crap on social media. Like it's more like, where were you months ago when this person was going through a divorce? Like, where were you when this person was openly struggling with alcoholism or, you know, you see the people, and I even use myself. I, I'm a recovering degenerate alcoholic. I mean, like, if you've seen the movie Hangover, that's about what it was like in my life from 2011 when I came home from overseas to 2014 when I decided to get sober. And it was celebrated. My chief went out with me. My captains went out with me. You know, right up until you you – you get the line and you get in trouble or something, you, you know, and I see these people posting pictures and uh, there was one in my hometown the other day and everybody's like, Oh, we'll take it from here. And you start talking to people and they're like, Oh yeah, we saw this coming. Like, you know, and it's giving me all these examples and I'm like, why didn't you do anything? Why didn't you like, we're not going to leave a brother or sister in a house fire or on, on scene in the back of ambulance getting the hell beat out of them. But just cause it's mental health. And I just, I don't know. It's so frustrating. I think it's, it's too. I think it's the, you know, what you're doing um, is bringing it to like a sense of normalcy, right? So that people will talk about it and they don't keep it inside. And you hope that they, um, want somebody to notice and pay attention and ask them, right? Um, because sometimes all it takes is just somebody asking you, like, hey, how, how are you? Like, I, what's going on at home? Is everything okay? Like, and then if you feel like it's more normal to talk about it, then you will. 
I guess, right? That's that's the hope. And, and that's what I do. I am mm-hmm. I am my own biggest critic. I talk about every stupid thing. I got arrested in 2012 for assault in a bar fight. Um, you know, I've drank and drove more times than I'm, you know, happy with ever, ever doing. Uh, I lost a job because of my mental health. I destroyed a marriage because of my mental health. I, you know, I put everything out on the line just to say, hey, man, I'm human. I'm not perfect. I've screwed up. Even with the buddy check, I, I piss people off and, you know, um, but I, I just try to be as real and honest as possible. And that's, that's not popular, but, you know, I feel like the more people talk about it, like, I wish everybody that, sh- that just had a yet factor moment would make a short video and get on social media and just say, hey, you know, I, I coded a kid and it bothered me. I drank myself to sleep for two days in a row. Um, and when you normalize and stop labeling and, you know, this whole stigma around mental health, the only stigma that's on is what we put on it. Um, a job is a job. If you lose a job because you talk about mental health, go find another one. Um, I get it. It sucks. It's hard, you know, um, but we just have to do a better job at just talk like just humanizing mental health. Yeah. No, I agree with you completely. Um, I think we, I think it's important to get this entire podcast out. Um, so we're going to skip hot seat today because you've given us a ton of information. Um, so yeah, I, I, I need to digest this for <laughs> a few minutes. Um, cause that's, that's a lot. Daniel, you've been through a lot. It's, it's crazy. But, um, I think what you're doing is amazing and the buddy check is something that I talked to my husband about so many times. I'm trying to implement something like that in the department. And um, I don't know if does Cal Fire do anything like that, Chelsea? Um, we have obviously Corey Iverson foundation for active awareness. Um, we have EAP, we have ESS, we have, um, we have, peer support. We have critical incident stress management. Um, so yes, Cal Fire does have a mental health support active. Right. Idea, I guess. Right. That's the point is they have it. It's just getting people to use it. That's kind of the key. Is That's the most at. frustrating thing is getting yeah. people to use it now. Yeah. And like I talked to so many people and I'm like, Hey, have you been to counseling yet? No, yeah. I can't do I can't do that. Why? Well, you know, blah, 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 blah. no, go to counseling. Yes. I was like, I'll pay for it. I mean, like literally I said, I will Venmo you some money right now to go to yeah. counseling. And there's such a, and, and I don't want people to be upset about the personal responsibility thing, because I'm also on the other side of the coin, the double-edged sword of, if if you can't move, drag them. If you can't if you can't carry on, then we ought to be picking people up. Doing I don't care what you have to do. If you have to buddy carry somebody until they're better, then that's what we do. But you know, I was talking to a provider the other day. Had I'm in a horrific rash of pediatric calls. I mean, stuff that I've never even dealt with, and 
first thing I said was, let's get you into counseling. And it was immediately met with, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. And there's all kinds of counseling, cognitive behavioral counseling, EMDR counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, I even refer people to the, the ketamine clinic in Austin, Texas. Uh, we talk about, you know, even the psychedelic research coming out of the MAPS organization with MDMA trials. Um, I mean, we just throw something at the wall and see what sticks, but you have to do something. Yeah. You got to try something, right? Try something you haven't done before to see if it Well, has- and I think, I think you asked Audra if Cal Fire does that. And I, I believe that we do. Um, but the thing is, is that you can't force a person to talk to you. And you can't force a person to come to a debriefing and you can't force a person to want to be better or to get better. And so that's where for me, yeah, the only stigma that we have in mental health in the fire service is the stigma that we put on it, but it's there because people do put it there. And so in order to remove that stigma, we absolutely need to be talking about things more and more. And I love this you know, I wish every first responder would make a video about their yet factor because absolutely that's exactly what we need to be doing. It, it needs to be normal to share our burdens with other people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, and, and I think that's what this podcast is about. Um, totally. Talking about our burdens as firewives, as EMS spouses, as police officers, wives, you know, that's what we're here and that's what we're doing. So 100% I agree that the stigma needs to be removed. Um, and and people have to know like, us, yeah, you know? like the leadership and the, the spouses and we're, we're for everybody from dispatch to fire EMS, police, veterans, ER nurses. Uh, we hit everybody, but I want everybody at the table because everybody has a voice, the spouses, uh, the first responder, you know, a lot of, a lot of spouses don't know how to take, their, their significant others coming home and proverbially beating them up and, and vice versa. Um, you know, the leadership doesn't know what to do. There's tons of leadership books about, you know, how to be, you know, the best fire chief in the world or the best police chief in the world. There's not any, I'm writing one now, but there's not any about how do we deal with, with the, you know, the, the addict firefighter, the addict EMT, the addict paramedic, the, you know, I, I, so in our thing, we, t- I teach the CAF acronym and it's compassion, acceptance, love, forgiveness, and empathy. And if you do those five things, all right. Um, we, you know, we talk about the brotherhood and the sisterhood. If you have compassion for your brothers and sisters, for what they're going through, no matter what it is, if you have acceptance and accepting, you know, reasonable behaviors and actions, you have unconditional love for those that you work with, because that's what a brotherhood and sisterhood is. You have forgiveness for anything that they may have done because of what they're going through. And you have empathy for people because we don't know what they have been through to this point right now. All right. We don't know what they've been through to get them to where they're at. And if you have empathy for them and just say, Hey, I'm here whether it's just an ear or if I have to grab you by your neck and drag you to rehab or drag you to counseling, whatever I'm here for, for you. All right. Because if somebody's trapped in a fire 
if they're getting assaulted by a suspect, we're not just going to be like, Hey, good luck, you know? Um, and yeah, it just, you know, there's, there's, there's so many ingredients to, to the recipe, but I think we're getting there. We're getting there for sure. Oh yeah. 100% we're getting there. I think it's, it's a lot better than it's ever been, especially when we have so many resources like the 911 buddy check, uh, next rung, we have, we have a lot going on in, in the mental health world. And so we're definitely evolving. Um, I'm loving what I'm seeing and definitely want to thank you for coming and talking with us today, Daniel. Um, we're going to wrap some, we're going to wrap up. Um, cause I think you just nailed it. <laughs> that last little spiel, um, 100% nailed it. So, um, we want to thank you for coming talking with us today. If you want to check out Daniel's work and get more information, you can go online to 911buddycheck.org or you can find him on Instagram at 911buddycheck. If you love our content, feel free to leave a review and rank us on Spotify and iTunes. As always, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay grounded. Chelsea and Audra, over and out. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in. Tune in weekly for the 25,000-foot view of loving a first responder. Audra and Chelsea, over and out. (laughs) 